0: Acts chapter 1, just have, have, have that book marked actually, I don't, I don't want to read it just yet. But if you recall, over the last three weeks, we have done an in-depth teaching, preaching on the person of the Holy Spirit. And we understand that throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit, He is revealed as a person and He is God. He is the third person of the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He, he is equal to the Father and the Son, but there is a relationship that has always eternally existed between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the first week, we talked about being, being in fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you cannot separate the work of the Holy Spirit apart from the Godhead. That it's very important, if you remember, it's very important, if you are experiencing the Holy Spirit that you understand, you are also experiencing the Father and the Son. It's the fullness of who God is. Without trying to go into any more detail regarding the Trinity, which is very hard to fathom and understand, that's what Scripture tells us and reveals to us concerning the person of the Holy Spirit. He is not independent of, he works in tandem with, The Father and the Son, and He gives willful deference and joyful submission to the Son as the Son gives joyful submission to the Father. And we see the relationship of these three throughout Scripture. And uh, furthermore, as just a, a background, if you recall last week, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 31, Ezekiel chapter 36. How that in times previous, the Holy Spirit would move upon people, would help people in the Old Testament. He would descend upon, but he would not dwell within. He would not reside within the people of God. And what made the Old Testament Israel so unique compared to all the other nations around them was not necessarily their law, and their keeping of Sabbath observances and circumcision and all these other unique aspects of Judaism, what uniquely distinguished them from all the nations around them was that the actual presence of God dwelt among them. The actual presence of God dwelt among them. His presence descended upon Mount Sinai when they were delivered from Egypt, and no man could could approach or touch that mountain or they would die, and only Moses could go up in this cloud of glory and thunder thunder and lightning. He received the law as a mediator between God and the people of God. And, and, And then finally, at the end of Exodus chapter 40, we see where the tabernacle, this temporary place, Where people would go and meet with God, this tabernacle that was made up of a tent and they would carry with themselves, and they did for 40 years. That once and for all, at the very end of chapter 40, at the end of Exodus, that the very glory and presence of God descended upon the tabernacle. And he dwelt there for 40 years while they wandered in the wilderness because of their backsliding and their stiff necks. And whenever the Holy Spirit, whenever God wanted to move to a different place, He would rise up from the tabernacle. His presence would rise up. And by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, he would lead them to the next location he would want to take them. If you recall, because of their backsliding and them worshiping the golden calf, uh, God said, my presence will not go with you. I'll, I'll make sure you get to where you're supposed to go, but I, my presence will not go with you. I'm going to send an angel. And Moses said, that is not enough. For if your presence does not go with us, how will I know that I have grace in your sight and what will make us any different than the nations around us so that they might know we have the true favor of God? Because otherwise, we're like any other nation. We have all these religious implements and ceremonies and things, but without the presence of God, we are nothing and I do not have grace in your sight. And God Relented and allowed, he said, my presence will go with you. And Jeremiah, he prophesied, Ezekiel prophesied that one day men's hearts made up of stone would be exchanged for a heart of flesh. And he would write his law, not on stone tablets, but he would write his law upon men's hearts. And he would do this, Ezekiel said, by placing his spirit into the heart of men. And the Holy Spirit would permanently indwell the person who has placed their faith in the Jewish Messiah, which is revealed to us 2,000 years ago as being Jesus of Nazareth. And it is Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, who once and for all restored the presence of God that had been lost because of Israel's backsliding and going into captivity. It's he who restored the indwelling presence of God by his blood, faith in Him. And now, you as a Christian sitting here right now, you are a temple, a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Right now, this very moment. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit, just as a reminder, the Holy Spirit is not divisible. The Holy Spirit is not divisible. Just because we're Pentecostal believers doesn't mean we have 100%, and the Baptist church down the road has 90%. Or just because I'm the pastor, it means I have more of the Holy Spirit than you do. Or maybe somebody has 30% or 50% or 60%. The Holy Spirit is not divisible. When When I got married to Kimberly, I got all of her. And when you come into faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you all of himself. But the question is, not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, you have all of him, but how much of you does he have how much possession and leadership and authority does he have in your life and so he gives us all of himself but i'm going to spend the rest of my life accessing and yearning and going deeper and deeper into all that he can provide to me but he's made it all of every single one of us have the exact same potential and power available to us because he's given us all of himself all of himself And it's up to us just to yield, to surrender, and to give ourselves over to his possession, to his leadership, and allow him to do with our lives what he would like to do. And so... That is regeneration. So up to this point, I've only been talking about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That is regeneration. That is salvation. That is John chapter 3. That things of the Spirit are born of the Spirit. That by the Holy Spirit, you're born again, Jesus told Nicodemus. And there are two identifiable experiences of the Spirit. We, we, you can look at our website, we have a doctrinal statement, which is very much like the Assemblies of God. But we, we believe there are two identifiable experiences for the person who can experience the Holy Spirit in two distinct ways. And one is regeneration which is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that happens when you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. And then there is infilling or an endowment of power or a clothing of power or what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And both of these are included in Old Testament prophecies and promises. We just looked at Jeremiah and Ezekiel last week. Joel chapter 2 talks about how in the last days I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. Every single person, man, woman, maid, servant, slaves, every person can receive the Holy Spirit and they can prophesy and they can dream dreams and be used of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So all believers experience the Spirit's regenerating work and all ought to experience His empowering work through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can be saved without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want, for anyone who would be wondering, who doesn't know us or know what we, where we stand on that, um, you are saved when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, not when you speak in tongues. When you speak in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when he comes upon you with initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues, that is an additional work, if you will. I hate to use the word additional. That is a deeper work, if you will, of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And you're just as saved as you ever were. You're just as spiritual as you ever were. To say that again, you're just as spiritual. It doesn't matter how much you speak in tongues, that's not what makes you spiritual. What makes you spiritual is how much of the Holy Spirit has influence in your life. How much of Christ's character is exemplified through your life. That's being spiritual. So you may be Pentecostal, but you may not be a spiritual as our brothers and sisters who have not had that experience. So we have to be very careful. Be very careful that we don't have an arrogance or a haughtiness about ourselves. But all the while, we should, ne- we should never make uh, uh, apology and be all the more emboldened that this is a real experience that I desire, that God declares is for me. It's a promise. It's a gift of, of God. And I should fervently and ardently pursue it and make no if, and, and buts about it. So, When I look at your life, when you look at your life, what would you say the primary goal and calling of your life is? Your primary calling in life, the very reason we even exist on this earth, and furthermore, specifically the reason you are saved, is first and foremost that you would glorify your creator. You have been called You have been created, you have been saved, not for your own glory, but you have been saved for the glory of God. And it is God's intention and will for your life that in everything you do, God would be glorified through your life. Even in salvation, that Jesus would be glorified through my life. Whether if I live or die, if I live unto the Lord, he should be glorified through my life. And that's the perspective we should always have, isn't it? In everything we do to glorify God, to exalt the person of Jesus Christ, that I'm not saved to be personally blessed first and foremost, though that is a bonus thereafter. But I am saved for the glory of God, and because He loves me, He brings all this blessing and benefit into my life. But it's all God-centered. It's all Christ-centered. And I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm no longer my own. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And now I do everything dictated, not by the flesh, but what the Spirit of God wants to do in my life. And if you are saved by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes to baptize you, do you know what the primary concern of the Holy Spirit is in your life? It's Jesus. It's to lift up Jesus, to make Jesus more real to you. To make you more Christ-like. And that is your that is your calling in life. And we know in Matthew, I think there's, a, uh, there's this scripture up here. Matthew 28. Where Jesus gives the great commission just before. Just before he's uh, going to leave them and ascend on high. He says in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always." How is he with them always? By the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you orphans. I will send myself to you by the Holy Spirit. I'm with you always. But all authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Okay? Go and speak for me. Go and glorify my name. Go and preach in my name and in my authority because now I have all authority and I've transferred it to you. And in the name of Jesus, go and preach the gospel to all creatures of all the earth. Everything you, no matter what you do, No matter what you do, let it be about lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. And it would seem that a task so great, proclaiming Christ's message to all the nations, should commence immediately. That's the most pressing need that he places upon them. That's what he tells them to do. This is what you're called to do. But Jesus told the disciples, before you go, before you leave and disperse, I want you to wait in the city of Jerusalem till you are clothed with power from on high. See, you're called to glorify Christ, but you can't do it in your own power, can you? What you're called to do, the task in your life, what you're called to do, you're called to do it with the divine enablement that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And as pressing as the need is to glorify Christ in all things, He wants to equip us and give us everything we need in order to be most effective in that high and holy calling of your life, which is to glorify the Lord. We need power. We need power. And we'll look at this word power here in a moment. What is power? What does it mean for your life? But the Holy Spirit's primary function to glorify Christ, he will come into your life, empower you to do that very thing, to glorify Jesus Christ. Christ. And in the the book of Luke, Luke 24, I think that's up there as well that you can follow along with me. He had one last command. Before they do go, before they do go preach, before they do uh, commence this great commission, this great calling upon their life to glorify Jesus and lift him up, he says in Luke 24, verse 46, then he said to them, thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed with power from on high. You have this great commission, but Wait. Go tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed with power from on high. How many of you want power in your life? In the fleshly sense, there's a lot of power grabbing in the secular world, isn't there? A lot of power grabbing. A lot of warring of different powers. And individuals and nations and people and cities and groups trying to lord power or grab more power or increase in power in whatever capacity. We see this continuously throughout human history because of the stain of sin upon our lives. When it comes to the spiritual world, when it comes to the kingdom of God, you need the same or you need power all the same. But it's for a spiritual purpose. It's for a king who is in heaven, it's to advance not your own desires, not to advance your own ambitions, it's to advance the kingdom of God. This is a power put into your hand, not to wield with prodigal power, but to wield, led and directed by the Holy Spirit for his very purpose. You want to live victorious? You want to live in a way that magnifies the person of Jesus Christ? He has everything he wants to provide to you. He wants to give you power. But what is the purpose of this power? What is the purpose of this power? Why must I be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Why did Jesus say, go, Terry, go, wait? Why? What's the purpose? Was it being saved enough, if you will? I have all the Holy Spirit. He's living within me. Why, Why do I need this experience why, why do I need to be filled? And do you know there are some people who have grown up in Pentecost their entire life and it took them a very long time to understand why they even needed it? And there might even be some people here today. You know you need it, but you don't exactly know why. And a lot of times, a lot of times, for, for many years, some people are seeking the Holy Spirit baptism for the wrong reason. They want it just to simply say, I have it just like you. Or I have it because I know I should have it, but I don't know why I should have it. And too many people view the baptism as a point of arrival. Or now I'm finally a spiritual Christian. Or I finally have arrived. And I want you to know, let your motives be this. Here it is. Here it is. Why should I desire or what should be my motive What should be my motive for more of Jesus Christ? It's everything I just said. It's more power to glorify Jesus and to have a greater intimacy with the one who purchased you on the cross of Calvary. It's a greater intimacy with the Lord and a greater capacity to glorify his name in everything you do. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Verse 1 through 8. The former account I made, all Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. How did he tell them those commandments? Through the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit and they could not discern except by the Holy Spirit what he was saying to them. Verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering and many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them. Everybody said commanded. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, what kind of power are they looking for? Earthly power. You're going to overtake that throne from Rome? When's that going to happen? We know you're the Messiah. Verse 7, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. How many of you know there will be a throne on this earth? When the new heavens and the new earth are created, or actually when, when Christ's millennial reign begins in the end days, he will come back. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the Of the earth. Jesus very clearly, this is as clear as it gets. And there are other reasons, there are other things I'm going to look into, but Jesus very clearly declares the purpose of this promise of power. And the essential purpose of the Spirit's empowerment is to be a witness, it's to be something. It's to be something. Not just to wield something, but for you to be something. Not for you just to have an experience that you can look back on in a history. No, but for you to right now be something. For the glory of Jesus Christ. To be a witness. To be a witness. He is promised as a promise from the Father. He's described as a gift. And, and, and though receiving the gift is not a guarantee, the promised power will be used for its intended purpose. So the promise is to all of us, but people can mishandle it and misuse it. They can take this power and use it in such a way, which is clearly defined there by Jesus, and use it in such a way that God didn't intend them to. Do you know that 95% of SUVs are never taken off-road? Isn't that the point of... SUVs, sports utility vehicles, if you've got to go off the highway or go off the pavement, you can do that. But 95% of SUVs do not go off the highway. You drive them just because it's big, it's, it's nice, you like it. Its original in- intent was if you've got to go off the highway, sports utility vehicle. And though it be, it's nice to have, have an SUV when you have a, a, a tropical storm like Amelia come through or a hurricane, have, have something that, that won't get flooded, I believe this, this illustrates that many people's experience concerning the Holy Spirit, they receive this wonderful gift, yet they don't put it into action or may not even fully understand the purpose for which this equipping power was given. You have the SUV, but you're riding in the little suburban uh, uh, neighborhoods, and you should be going off-road. Four by four. You got a big old... Here's what gets me. You got these guys. I'm not against this. You got these guys in huge, jacked-up four by four trucks, and they've never taken it through the mud. They spend thousands of dollars on jacking this truck up, massive tires, mud tires. Huge. And you never take it off the road. You never use it for what it would appear to be its intended use. It does look cool though, doesn't it? And you probably feel pretty manly. But you got all this power and potential in your hands. Right? And it's not being used properly or to the intent that God has given it into our hands for. And so just... just uh, here, the next scripture there, Weston, is First Thessalonians. I, I want to draw. Uh, just very simply, in regards to us being a witness, empowered to be something. Just, just if you leave with anything, leave with this. I've got. I'm called to be something. I'm called to be, not just experience. Yes, experience. It's through experience of the Lord and His goodness and His presence but it's to be something, to be something. And in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.5, it's there on the screen. Here's what Paul said. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. I'm going to use this in tandem with a few other scriptures. And I'm taking this primarily, there there is a 2003 article in the Pentecostal Evangel. And this article is referenced in in a book called Perspectives on Spirit Baptism. And Stanley Horton, the Pentecostal theologian, he quotes this 2003 article, which is written by another Assembly of God individual, Randy Hurst. And he says, here is what our witness is is to be comprised of. Here is what you are to be. And here's what your witness looks like. When I say witness, usually what comes to your mind is what I say, right? What I say. But drawing from 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5, we're going to make a few applications here, drawing primarily from this article written by Randy Hurst. Randy Hurst says, Our witness is comprised of what we say, that is our vocal witness, how we say it, vital, and who we are, valid. So go back to 1 Thessalonians one five. Look, read that again, what Paul says. Here's who we were. Here's who we were. Our gospel did not come to you in word only. I'm afraid for some people, they view the work of God as only proclaiming, and that stops there. But he says, but not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake and so we're given this power to be a witness first to be a vocal witness our message is jesus christ this church must be christ centered and everything we speak should be the language of jesus christ Everything about our lives should center around the person of Jesus Christ. How you plan your entire life, how you plan your week, your month, it should all revolve around Jesus Christ. And after the day of Pentecost, the first Christians boldly and clearly witnessed about Jesus as he promised they would. Would When you look at Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls and, and uh, these 120 people begin to speak in other tongues. And there's thousands, h- tens of thousands of extra people in Jerusalem for the, the day of Pentecost, this feast, this Jewish feast. It attracts all these people because they hear all their own languages. And what, what, is, what does Peter do? Peter does not exalt the 120 people speaking in tongues. Peter does not exalt himself. Peter exalts the name of jesus christ here's the opportunity we have been filled we have been called we've been trained all this time for three years by jesus not to declare our church or our ministry we're here to declare the name of jesus christ and what does he preach he preaches jesus he preaches the name of jesus and he gives a, a background from old testament israel all the way up to the front and they're cut to their hearts and they say What must we do to be saved? He presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. He speaks it. And 3,000 people are added to the church because he exalted Jesus. The very next chapter, Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray. They're keeping their normal routine and habit as Jewish men. And they're going to the hour of prayer. And there's a lame man there at the entrance of the temple asking for offerings and alms. And Peter says, look at me. Gold and silver have I none. But in what name? In the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. In the name of Jesus. And not only that. But when all these people started gathering around and the man who was healed was clinging to the feet of Peter, what does Peter do? He takes this opportunity not to draw attention to himself or to grab power for himself or to to accomplish or aggregate more uh, disciples for himself. He takes this opportunity to say, we have not done this. Let me tell you who did this. It's Jesus who did this. And he presents the gospel again. You know how many people believed after this? 5,000 people. 5,000 people. My God, how many people could be saved if so many ministers from the pulpit weren't playing games, exalting their own self and fleecing the flock? They're more concerned with their own kingdom under the guise of it being spiritual. But it has nothing to do with Christ. Christ. And what does Peter do? He lifts up Jesus. He lifts up Jesus every single time. I didn't heal this man. Jesus did. And let me tell you who he is. He's the Messiah. He's a Savior, not of just the Jews, but of of the entire world. And in the very next chapter, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees were so disturbed that they put Peter and John in jail for this very occurrence. And the next day, they're presented before the rulers and the elders and the scribes, the high priest, and they challenge them. Here's what they say. Here's what they say to Peter and John. By what power or in what name have you done this? By what power and or in what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke boldly about Jesus. There is salva- Here's what he says. There is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said this filled the Holy Spirit. And in what name? It's by the name of Jesus Christ. And he did it how and what nature? Did he do it timidly, cowardly, fearful? He did it boldly. Why? Because he had been empowered to be something. And his vocal witness, what he proclaimed from his mouth, was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. When the early church was born, the message of the believers always focused on the person of Jesus Christ. As they boldly and clearly and unashamedly proclaimed him. And as they did this, great numbers came to believe upon the person of Jesus Christ. And the same method they used then is the same method we must use now. The same message, if you will. The same message they had then is the same message we must have now. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because there's no other name under heaven by which men are saved except by the Lamb of God which has been slain for the sins of the world. You've been empowered to proclaim Jesus. And listen, this is extremely important. Listen closely. The person of Jesus... He's highly revered in this world. Okay? Many people, many people consider Jesus as a good teacher, as a good philosopher, even as a prophet, as a, a good rabbi, teacher. But every single person must be confronted with who he really is. Not just a good teacher, not just a prophet. Who is Jesus. To clearly exalt who he is, what he accomplished, and what he calls all men to, which is repentance and healing in his name. And we must, we must not get this mixed up. We must proclaim Jesus because that is, alone is the hope for this world. How can people be saved except that they hear the gospel? They cannot. They can't. Except that men receive by faith when they hear the gospel the gospel a vital witness you're given power to be a witness to be a vital to have a vital witness coming through your life here's what this means that what you say you believe you act like you believe it it's not just empty words it's not just head knowledge it is a true conviction and a holy fervor that you've been possessed by the love of god And that when you preach to somebody, when you speak to somebody, the Spirit of God is so overwhelming in your life that it just exudes from your life into the person next to you. And they see, man, this is real in their life. There's a vitality there. There's a vital witness there. How we say things communicates as much as what we say, how we say it. Passion is contagious, isn't it? You think somebody's going to want to serve your Jesus when you are bored with him? No. But when they see the life-changing effect of Jesus upon your life and how much in love you are with him. Listen, does a young person want to get married when you talk about how bad your marriage is? You're going to scare every young person away. Man, my wife is such a nag. She's on me all the time. She won't get off me. X, Y, Z. You're gonna scare every young person away from marriage, aren't you? But oh, if you have a healthy marriage, a loving marriage, and you talk about how wonderful your wife is, how much you love her, how much she loves you, and you dote on one another, and I'm the king and she's the queen, and we serve each other. Man, somebody's gonna hear that marriage and be like, man, marriage is wonderful. I want that. It's the same with Christ. It's the same with our relationship with Christ. To be convincing, we must be convinced ourselves. To be convincing, you must be convinced yourself. And this is not some sort of stirred up false emotion. It's a real, a real conviction within you. A true joy, a true peace, a true love, a true boldness that just exudes from your life. And that's just as important. How you say it, it's just as important as what you're saying. How you say it. If we're not moved by our own message, it's unlikely we will move anyone else. Our emotions, attitudes, and actions are as much a part of our message as our words. Have you ever heard two people say the exact same thing? But one rocked your world and the other person left you dead and dry. Because the one person was full of the love of God and what they said, they believed it, they lived it and it became real to you. Thirdly, a valid witness. We're called, we're given power to be a witness and the aspect of our witness to be a valid witness. The validity of our witness is related to the credibility of our lives. Be real. Don't be a fake. Does it mean you're perfect? No. Does it mean you don't mess up and you need the grace of God? Of course you need the grace of God. Every one of us does. But it means that you are a proper representation of the Christ who you stand for and speak for and say you're excited about. It's that your life does not contradict what's coming from your mouth. Let your witness be validated by the effect and power of God in you so that when people see you, they don't even have to hear you, but when they watch your life, it's backed up. It's backed up by the character of your life. Effective witness depends on character, and this has always been true. But in a culture that is increasingly skeptical of Christianity, it is even more critical. How many people have you heard? In your life, in your interactions with people, they say, You know, I would go to church, but there's a lot of what there? Hypocrites. And there are hypocrites. Some people use that as an excuse just not to go to church. But there truly are. There are. There's backbiting and gossip and meanness and all kinds of things behind the church doors. Was it, was it the Dalai Lama who said, I, I, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christian? I like your Christ, but the representation of your Christ is just found wanting. The content of our message will be greatly hindered if our manner and actions are inconsistent with our words. And with many people, especially those we know personally, our own testimony of the difference Christ has made in our lives and its consistent proof through our actions will be what compels them the most. If Christ is so powerful, if the Holy Spirit has really saved you, let me see the evidence. Let it be validated in the way you live your life. Are we being sanctified daily? Yes. But don't let that be an excuse not to grow in likeness to Christ on a daily Basis. So in a society in which people are rapidly losing faith in the integrity of leaders in government and the business world, I've lost if I had one percent hope in our political system, I have zero right now They've lost all kinds of credibility, credibility, haven't they, on multiple fronts. Both parties because they're mere men and women. And where people are losing faith in the integrity of leaders and government and the business world, the personal credibility of Christians is not merely an added blessing and witness, but an essential requirement. You must be contradictory to the spirit of this world, this age, and this system. The church must be something different than a political party or a social club it must be composed of people who are you know what christian means little christ people were first called christians in antioch that means little christ one who takes on the likeness of christ so our witness must be vocal it must be vital it must be valid that is the purpose of receiving this power and becoming a witness for the person of jesus christ a few other things, and I could add a, a lot more actually, but let me just hit this. You have an enhanced sensitivity to sin that grieves the Holy Spirit, a greater seeking after righteousness, and a deeper awareness of God's judgment against ungodliness. It gives you a greater intimacy with the Lord, a greater desire to be that witness. When the, the love of God and the Holy Spirit empowers you, it makes you all, that, all the more near to the heart of God. You will receive greater discernment, a deeper prayer life, and a deeper burden or concern for the needs of others because you have been possessed by the will and agenda of God and not your own. And you will be preoccupied and consumed with the kingdom of God. Let me finish up here very quickly. Power. What is that? What is power? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you've done any study on this, you know that this Greek word is dunamis. It's a power word in the Greek. There are several other words that are considered uh, power or energy words, and this word is dunamis. And people often think of the Holy Spirit's empowerment only in terms. When I say power, they oftentimes only, only think in a, in a more... Uh, singular sense, in terms of only signs and wonders and spiritual gifts, which are included in this power. But the word translated power in Acts chapter 1 and 8, it is comprehensive. Here's what dunamis means. It's, It's multifaceted. It's comprehensive. It means ability, efficiency, and might. How many of you could use that in your Christian walk? I could use ability. I could use efficiency. I could use, and yes, power or might. And it applies to everyday life. This power given to you, it applies to everyday life. The Holy Spirit supplies whatever it takes to help us accomplish what is needed. Whatever the need is at hand, this power comes and gives us the efficiency, the ability, the power to meet the need at hand. He he enables ordinary people like me and you to do extraordinary things on a daily basis. The Holy Spirit will let you love someone who hates you. That's extraordinary. That's supernatural. That's divine ability. He will allow you By his power to do what you can never do in your own, with your own money or cunningness or smarts or strength, that's efficiency. And his power is no match for the minuscule power of the devil and his schemes and wiles. So he empowers our witness in what we say. He empowers our witness in how we say it. And the Holy Spirit enables our character to become what God has called us to be as the fruit of the Spirit are manifested through our life. This Holy Spirit baptism is not just for a few hours in a service to have a good time. It's for every single moment daily living by his direction, his power, his enabling presence to be with you. It's very broad in his ability to influence your life in all aspects. And it's very deep in his work in us. Got to cut some things out here, which I know you'll appreciate. Without going into it in in great depth, there are five instances in which we know people are filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in three of those incidents or or, uh, scenarios, it explicitly tells us that an external sign speaking in tongues accompanies them being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in two instances, it implies this. And I have the, um, I think I have it up there. Yeah, it it is up there for you if you want to reference that. And so... We believe that the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues is the, in the... Let me backtrack. Speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit because of these five instances drawing from Scripture, what is explicit and what is implied. How many of you have ever wondered, why? Why? Why did God choose this? Why did He choose? It seems odd. It seems different. It doesn't seem... You know, that Why would God do this? Why, why would he make that? And there are other people other groups other the denominations who disagree with our doctrinal perspective on this. But we believe that the initial physical sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. Though speaking in other tongues is only a, a small part of receiving this power in the Holy Spirit. But one vital reason why God has chosen tongues as the initial sign of receiving the Holy Ghost is that speaking in tongues is an immediate External evidence you immediately know in a point in time that you 've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I will say the other evidences of being baptized in the Holy Spirit would be the fruit of the Spirit or the life of Christ being manifest through your life. Those are not so immediately externally seen, and so you can definitely say you received this this blessing of the Holy Spirit, this baptism of the Holy Spirit when you spoke in tongues but 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 the the manifest fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit, it manifests itself over time. So it's not just that you spoke with tongues, it's that your life is being changed continuously. Another reason why God chose other tongues as the initial sign of receiving the Spirit is that speaking in tongues, it is a uniform evidence. Regardless of race, culture, or language, you can know when it Occurs. It's not based upon culture. And speaking in tongues, it symbolizes God's complete control of the believer. Who can tame the tongue? <laughs> James chapter 3. Who can tame the tongue? We can tame wild beasts. We can steer a ship by us. We can tame wild beasts and, and reptiles and all kinds of things. But who can tame the tongue? The tongue is an unruly member. When he can have full possession of your tongue, it indicates that he has full possession of of your body. That is one aspect as to why he might have done that. Steve, please come help me. I want us to sing and worship here for a moment. There is there is a, a reason, there is a function, there is a benefit to speaking in tongues. No, it's not just a sign when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. There is an actual benefit. There's a personal and a public benefit. When you go into your prayer closet, you now have a prayer language, if you will. i us just call it that. You have the Holy Spirit who can pray through you, and you can be edified in your spirit man. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians how that when I'm in the midst of everybody, I don't speak in tongues, but I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Because when I speak in tongues, I don't pray with my understanding, but I pray with my spirit, and I am edified. I don't know what I'm praying. I bypass my understanding. When all my own words have have come to an end, and I cannot articulate how I really feel the Holy Spirit can pray through me with this tongue and I can intercede on this particular situation or on behalf of myself or on behalf of a person or a group of people through this blessing of speaking in tongues for my own personal benefit. And then next week, we're gonna look at the gift of tongues, which is for public use. That is tongues which are meant to be interpreted into the English language or the common language that, is, that it's occurring in so that all the church may be edified. We could go on forever on this. But let me just close right here. Let me close right here. You may ask, what is the prerequisite or what is required of me? to receive this power so I can be something for God. I know I need to be something. I know I need power in my life. What is the prerequisite to receive this power from on high, to be clothed with power? I would say this, number one, you must be a Christian. Repent. Repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus Christ. And this blessing, this promise is to whosoever would receive Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are Christians, though we are not perfect, we should be pursuing righteousness and living in obedience. Secondly, just simply ask. Just simply ask. And don't beg the Lord. Just simply ask. Any good father... If they have a child who has a necessity in life, that child does not have to beg for it because the father loves the child. Just simply ask. Acknowledging, in asking, acknowledging your need of this power he has promised to you. James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. But if we ask with a sincere heart, We shall receive. Oftentimes, when we ask, we ask in hunger with a desire and a thirst. And oftentimes, our hunger for more of God is our asking. You understand what I'm saying? When I desire more of God, I have a yearning for Him, a thirst and a hunger for Him. It is me asking Him. It is me knocking on the door. It's asking, it's seeking, it's knocking, it's continuing to pray and seeking the Lord and tearing in his presence because I have a hunger for him and didn't just simply believe. Just simply believe. By faith, this is for me in the same way that I was saved by simple faith and trust and belief and what the word of God says, I'm gonna believe and and expect God to fill me, to baptize me, with the Holy Spirit. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's as simple as that. How many of you want power in your life? How many of you want to be a greater witness? And it doesn't matter if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit 50 years ago, 20 years ago. We need to be continuously filled continuously filled because there's a greater depth and there's a greater there's greater um, capacity for the holy spirit to have rulership over me and influence in my life it's not good enough just to have been filled once but to be continuously be being filled with his presence going deeper into this power he has for us would you stand with me i just want us to, to worship here for a moment Come, come sing one of these songs we sang earlier. And I just want us to worship here for a moment. Just prepare your heart. If, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you currently don't have this experience in your life, I'm going to ask you to come up here. But I don't want you to be nervous. I don't, I don't want you to have any kind of false expectations based upon past experience. Just come up here and just love Jesus. But here for a moment, we're all going to love Jesus together. And we're going to sing and we're going to worship Him. Just prepare your hearts for us to respond in prayer here in a moment. Oh, come, let us adore.